If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Will you pray with me? While some of us think the Ten Commandments are difficult enough, Holy One, it it occurs to us that there are plenty of others who must think that the commandments are a, a low bar, the easiest of all scriptural directives to follow for good Christian living. After all, there are other options that would require obvious and public course corrections. Love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor, would definitely mean a change in behavior when it comes to name-calling our sworn enemies. To live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, sounds like, at the very least, a mandate for affordable housing in Edmond. And that line, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Well, that's just the Apostle Paul meddling, even if Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Perhaps that's why no one is insisting the Ten Commandments, and that's why that we are insisting that the Ten Commandments be displayed in classrooms at the courthouse and not some of those other verses. It's just so satisfying to focus on performative Christianity rather than principled Christianity. Help us, Holy One, to use the text as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, not as a way to divide and conquer. Hide these words in our hearts that we might not sin against you, you who still hoping will be our sibling's keeper. Be with us as we work to rise to the occasion without stepping on anyone else's neck. For healthier, more productive, and compassionate school board and city council meetings, we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. 
Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pizzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, uh, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But, Moses said to God, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. God said further, thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord God, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The text we just read is widely known as Moses and the Burning Bush, and it is a top 10 Bible story. Now, if you have been living in Oklahoma for the last five years, it is likely that the phrase top 10 has lost all meaning. <laughs> Governor Stitt made some big promises about turning Oklahoma into a top 10 state, but what the governor didn't tell anyone was that it was also opposite day <laughs> for his entire term in office. But the numbers don't lie. According to CNBC's most recent annual ranking of the best states in which to do business under Governor Stitt's leadership, we now rank 41st overall, down from 38th in 2022 and down from 32nd in 2021. Our scores in education and quality of life are also among the worst in the nation. So to clear up any confusion, anything that is labeled top 10 is supposed to indicate the best of, 
the highest ranking, the most popular, not the worst or among the worst. So with that in mind, Moses and the burning bush is definitely a top 10 Bible story. People know this story. And there are actually quite a few stories involving Moses that might also make the top 10. Perhaps the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the Ten Commandments. The burning bush is definitely famous, maybe infamous. Anyway, but that's the main feature of the story, usually, the burning bush. Moses doing a double take to make sure his eyes weren't deceiving him and discovering, yes, the bush was on fire, but not consumed, and then hearing God's voice telling him what to do with his one wild and precious life. This never happens anymore. And it seems rather unfair that God pulled a one and done with that particular form of communication. I know that many of us have begged for something similar, a sign, any sign, to know what we're supposed to do with our lives, to know which path to take when we come to that fork in the road, to be handed a plan. Moses is the only one who gets an actual burning bush with an angel of the Lord appearing to him in a flame of fire. I mean, he is a lucky duck. Although he doesn't seem to appreciate his good fortune. Indeed, Moses is quite insistent that he did not ask for this and that God's plan for him to lead the people of Israel is a terrible idea. He gives multiple reasons why God needs to reassess, starting with who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And notably, God does not stroke Moses' ego. She does not tell him that he is smarter than he thinks. She does not encourage him to give himself more credit. She does not even say, you're the best man for the job. God's like, oh, I know, I'm not sending you alone. I'm going with you. So Moses tries again, and note at this point we're a little farther into the reading. But suppose, God, that they do not believe me or listen to me. And God deals with this excuse, too, through a series of signs that are even more wild than the bush that was blazing, yes, not, yet not consumed. And thinking that, well, a third time's the charm, Moses offers God one more reason why God's idea is terrible. Moses says, Oh my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But God, sounding very much like Elizabeth Warren, said, I have a plan for that. You know what the one excuse is that Moses doesn't offer? Age. Doesn't say a word about how it disqualifies him. A different pro prophet tried that once, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah told God that he was too young to inexperience. Truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am just a boy. To which God gave an emphatic divine eye roll. But Moses is in a, a little bit different situation. According to the retelling of these events in the book of Acts, Moses was 80 years old when the burning bush flared up in front of him. 80, 80. Dude has been getting the senior discount at Brahms Ice Cream and Dairy for 25 full years. 
He's been on Medicare for 15. And yet Moses does not say, well, I'm too old. Moses does not say, I'm retired. All of those excuses, but not age. Please keep that in mind next week on Sign Me Up Sunday. (laughs) While the burning bush and God arguing with, uh, Moses arguing with God could certainly keep our attention for an entire sermon, we cannot ignore the elephant in the room, which is that someone forgot to tell God about the rule. No politics in church. But we have this Exodus story in which God does, in fact, get involved in politics. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. Apparently, religion and politics are quite, quite, um, quite a match in God's mind. Economics, too. It is also equally clear that God chooses sides, siding with those who suffer deprivation and oppression. God plans to meddle in the politics of Pharaoh and disrupt the economics of Egypt. Note, though, that God is not simply going to throw her weight around, but involves someone on the ground, so to speak, by recruiting Moses to negotiate with Pharaoh, to organize the people into a grassroots movement and ultimately lead them out of captivity. The idea of politics and religion is off-putting to many people, at least in theory, but this is usually because politics is confused with partisanship. Those two words are used almost interchangeably, but they are not synonyms. Partisanship can be defined as harassing an enemy, red versus blue, dividing into teams. It is important to note that partisan is often used as an adjective for politics, as in partisan politics, which opens the door for considering that politics is something different than partisanship. When politics are partisan, they are all too often cultish and self-serving, and thus decidedly unchristian. This this can be true of both Republicans and Democrats, which I know is not a popular opinion around here, but I invite you to consider why so many Gen X and Millennials are not card-carrying members of either major party. Partisan politics is the kind of politics the church must guard against. What then is politics without partisanship? Theologian Jim Wallace considers politics to be much broader than dividing up into teams. He argues that politics is the process by which people shape their communities based on values and the common good. Politics, he writes, embraces not only legislative and electoral activism, but also how a community or society organizes itself how it makes decisions and what decisions it makes. The Greek word polis, from which we get the word politics, refers to the people, the public square, and the search for the common good. It means a discourse about values, right and wrong, and the ways of sustaining or restoring the healthy social and moral fabric of a society. 
Theologian Marcus Borg argues that all of scripture, from the Hebrew Bible all the way through the book of Revelation, is a call to political action. He writes that politics is about the shaping and shape of the city, and by extension, of large-scale human communities, kingdoms and nations, empires and the world. In this sense, politics matters greatly. It is about the structures of a society. Who rules? To whose benefit? What is the economic system like, fair or skewed toward the wealthy and powerful? What are the laws and conventions of society like, hierarchical, patriarchal, racist, xenophobic, hobophobic? To abandon politics means leaving the structuring of society to those who are most concerned to serve their own interests. It means letting the pharaohs and Caesars and domination systems, ancient and modern, put the world together as they will. Politics, then, is about how people organize themselves, shape our collective living, and set priorities. And people of faith should be involved in this work. As Walter Taylor, the first black mayor of Inglewood, New Jersey, wrote, politics determines the kind of world you will be born into, the kind of education, health care, and job you will eventually get, how you will spend your old age, and even how you will die. The church must address itself to and be involved in anything that affects life as great as this. One of the tenets of progressive Christianity is an orientation towards social justice, which means that we prioritize salvation from hell on earth caused by social norms, laws, and policy instead of prioritizing salvation from an afterlife of damnation. Um, these two things are not mutually exclusive, but as Borg explains, salvation in the Bible is political, a dimension that is often missed when we are limited to understanding the word within the heaven and hell framework. A historical and metaphorical reading of scripture restores a crucial dimension to what the Bible means by salvation which is central to the story of the Exodus, the prophets, Jesus, and even Paul. And it has two focal points, justice and peace. Those are what make salvation. Progressive Christianity looks to continue this work in our time, seeking to make salvation from injustice and violence and oppression possible in the here and now, siding not with those in power, but with those in poverty. This, beloved community, is why Mayflower is a member of Voices Organized in Civic Engagement, a faith-based community organizing coalition. It is why we are asking questions about how, if we are going to build a new home for the thunder, why we might also build homes for Oklahomans who are working for minimum wage. It is why once a, once a month, the voice education team meets in our parlor, organizing for how we might flip our 48th ranking in education on its head, because we know that without quality education, children are more likely to suffer adverse health outcomes and less likely to participate in decisions that affect them. 
threatening their ability to shape a better future for themselves. And this is why our reproductive justice team is working to help our congregation become a community of faith that supports reproductive dignity for all. For we know that this is how we serve our community and equip us to work for reproductive justice, which is the right to have children, the right to not have children, the right to parent the children we have in safe and sustainable environments, the right to bodily autonomy and racial equality in parenting rights. As I mentioned earlier, the first of five trainings start two weeks from today. It seems timely to note that as of this morning, of the 25 folks who have signed up for those classes, only three of them are men. Which also reminds me that besides age, the other excuse that Moses didn't try to use to get out of the work of justice was gender. With our status as a top 10 state for highest poverty rates, we can hear the cries of those who are suffering. Our burning bush is the dumpster fire that is our state. If we quit messing around with partisanship and get busy with the real work of shaping a just world, all of us might actually experience salvation. Sounds like the gospel to me. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.